And wow, look at the crowd here this morning. Awesome, awesome. COVID doesn't live here anymore. All right, all right. Hey, it's good to see all of you here today. Hey, I want to just say thank you to everybody that, that donated Wednesday night. Pastor Tommy literally found out that the law of sowing and reaping is still something that's real. It's very real. He stood out, he politicked on the platform, he went out and he, and he went through the crowd last Wednesday just telling everybody, holding up two buckets, mine and Charlie's. And everybody put it in Tommy's. <laughs> Praise you, Jesus. You still honor your promises. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> the problem was nobody wanted to slap him in the face with a pie. I didn't feel it was appropriate for me to do it because I'm his boss. So I had my wife do it. She did it. She went, <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, it was a great night. It's a great time. We, we are honored to, uh, to help our students get to Beach Freak this year. And, uh, and honestly, over here, they've begun sitting over here the last few weeks. What an awesome-looking group of teenagers. Yes. <clears throat> looking good. Our middle schoolers are in their class this morning, but our high schoolers are in here, and we appreciate them being here today. And happy Palm Sunday to everybody. Uh, before you leave today at the, at the Hub, there's going to be some, uh, some invite cards. Tommy mentioned it. I'm just going to briefly touch on it. Pick them up, invite your friends, uh, preferably pagans. If, they have, if, they, if you have Christian friends and they're part of other churches, don't poach people. Um, just find somebody that doesn't know Jesus and bring them next Sunday, okay? All right. Uh, let's get into the teaching today. We're coming to the end of the series on overcoming, and uh, I, I hope and pray that you've been blessed by these teachings. I hope that you found them useful. Uh, but uh, I want to get into this today. And, and uh, I've got some people that are going to help me this morning. I've been informed that I've gone a little fast over the last 29 years when it comes to preaching. And uh, it's, I'm telling you, it's just nerves. I'm going to tell you straight up, Sister Skipper is clapping back there. Thank you, Sister Skipper. <clears throat> Those of you who don't know Sister Skipper, Sister Skipper is was my boss's wife. She and her husband, George, were the senior pastors of this church for 29 years previous to me. And, uh, and she is still a part of this church, and uh, we love having her here. Come on, yeah, give her a hand. Give her a hand. <clears throat> All right, today we, are, we looked last week at sanctification and what exactly is our flesh. Um, and so our flesh, Galatians 5, 19 to 26, I'm not going to go into all of them, but it just basically says... The works, depending on your translation, the works or the acts of the flesh are obvious. And it goes into this whole list of things from sexual immorality to envy, drunkenness, uh, even mentions orgies and, and things like that. But the thing that I want you to see is, is in verse 21, the latter part of verse 20, it says that those who live like this, those who live like this. Now, here, there, that's a very important phrase that sometimes we just skim over it and don't pay attention to it. But it's very important because he's, he makes a statement to us. It's not someone, he's not talking about somebody who, has, who is struggling with their flesh. Okay? Uh, up in the earlier verses of that same chapter, he talks about the, the flesh and the spirit are at war with one another. And that battle that's raging between what God wants us to do and what our fleshly desires and, 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 and our own interpersonal stuff want us to do. He said, those who have chosen to go the side of the flesh, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
All right, so we're not talking about individual. If you're here today and you're warring and you're battling and you're struggling and all this kind of stuff, he's not, you're, he hadn't cut you off. You're not going to get, uh, there's not a button he's going to hit and you're going to go straight to hell or anything like that. But there are a lot of people on the flip side of it that just went, ah, this is just the way God made me. And that's just not the way to view this. It's not the biblical way to view it. It's not the godly way to view it. It's not the holy way to view it. You say, well, I don't want to be holy. I don't want to be holier than thou. Believe me, you, none of us will be holier than anybody else. Okay, that ain't going to happen. Because uh, the Bible actually says there's no one holy but God himself. But the thing I want us all to understand this morning is this, that there, there is a war and there is a struggle and we have to be in the battle and engaged in the battle. We don't raise the white flag on our anger and go, I'm just an angry person. We don't raise the white flag on our, our sexual immorality and go, well, this is just the way I am. I have these desires and, I want, and God gave me these desires and I want to move and experience these desires. That's not the, that's not the deal. Doesn't matter what you, what you say, how you say you were born. That's not the deal. The thing is, how does God expect us to live? And God expects us to live as overcomers. All right, we talked about everything in this, in, in this teaching the last six weeks, so from fear to failure uh, to spiritual famine. And, and these last two Sundays, we've been talking about this flesh side of us because of everything that we face and everything that we have to overcome, I think the flesh is most difficult. Because we have to live in this body every day. As a matter of fact, Paul actually prayed this prayer. God, deliver me from this body of death. Deliver me from this body of death, this stuff that I'm facing. He had, these, he had this thorn that, that he called it a messenger from Satan, you know. And, and, he, and he asked God three times. And three times God just simply said, no. You know, well, I didn't think God told us no. <laughs> well, he does. He does. He told Paul, no. But he also told Paul, in your weakest moment, when you're dealing with this stuff, whatever this thorn is, when you're dealing with that, my grace is strong enough and sufficient for you. And in your weakest moment, I'm the strongest. That's the point. That's the point right here. It's not about how you feel in the moment. It's what God says about you every day of your life. And God says, you're my child, and I want to move you from just being my child to being an overcomer through the Holy Spirit in your life. And I want you to rise to the occasion and be who I've called you to be. Amen? Amen? All right, so let's go further into this today. So now, how do we overcome the flesh? Well, today's Palm Sunday, and uh, we're, you know, this is Holy Week, and we're celebrating moving up to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and next Sunday it's going to be Resurrection Sunday and all that. But before we get to the cross, and before we get to the resurrection in the garden tomb, we've got to talk about Gethsemane, because Gethsemane is where we see Jesus in his toughest battle. Oh, but he spent 40 days and, and Satan was talking to him personally and all this kind of stuff when he was tempted in the wilderness. Yeah, he did. But the battle, the strongest and toughest battle that Jesus faced was in the Garden of Gethsemane. All right, Matthew 26. He's in the garden. Uh, they got there and he said, I want you to pray so that you don't fall into temptation. He went a little further into the garden himself and he knelt down to pray and he prayed this prayer. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Father, if you're willing, you read it again in, in the book of Luke. Father, if you're willing, take, what is, what is he, what is happening in this moment? He knows what's ahead of him. And every ounce of him as a human being, and this is where, this is where a lot of people start having some difficulty with the Easter message and the whole thing of Christianity anyway, because how can, how can our savior be fully God and fully man at the same time? But yet Jesus was. 
Jesus was. A number of years ago, I had a, had a couple that they got angry with me after talking about this one Sunday, and, and they left. They never came back. He said, you're telling me that, God, that, that Jesus was human being. I'm going, I'm not telling you that. That's like the Bible. You know, no, he is fully God. He is, yes, 100% God, but 100% man. Oh, how can that be? Nobody else has done that. That's kind of like the point. <laughs> nobody before, nobody after, because he is like God, you know? And so he does this. He comes in the, he comes in the form of a baby, in the form of flesh. And he deals with all of the stuff that you and I deal with. And in the garden, he knows what suffering is ahead of him. He knows what's about to take place. He knows the magnitude of the pain and the agony. But the most important thing that he knows is that there's going to be a point in time over the next few days, the next couple of days, that he is going to take the weight of every sin of every human being from the beginning of creation to the end of the dawn of man. He takes it on himself and his father literally turns his back on him so that he never has to turn his back on us. He's battling the flesh, the desire to live, self-preservation. We read it this way. Oh, father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yeah, but not my will. That's how we read that. But that's not what's going on. It's not what's going on because you see God actually dispatched an angel to strengthen him while he's praying. And after the angel left, you say, well, he should feel better now. He didn't. Because it's after the exit of the angel that he begins to pray in anguish, praying more earnestly, and his sweat became his drops of blood falling to the ground. There's a medical term. I can't pronounce it. But it's a, it's a point where human beings get in there's so much anguish that their pores literally explode. And he's bleeding in agony as he is overcoming his desire for self-preservation. Fully God, but fully man. What's the point of that? It's here's the point for us, for you and I. Hebrews 4. We have a high priest, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not, verse, four, verse 15 of Hebrews 4, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Every fleshly act, every temptation, every single thing that you and I have ever been faced, Jesus faced it as a human being on this earth, went to the Garden of Eden, crucified the flesh, wound up being crucified in, in bodily form so that you and I have an access to the throne of someone that sits up there and goes, I know exactly what you're feeling. I know exactly what you're going through. I know exactly what's happening in you. I have been there. I have walked in your shoes. It's not like somebody that goes, well, you should do this, but they've never walked there. But yet here we see Jesus, who becomes the high priest, who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. So what do we do? We approach God's throne with grace, throne of grace, with confidence, so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's what it is. So how do we overcome? If Jesus overcame the flesh, 
He's the example for you and I. Yeah, but he had the God thing on his side. He had, he had an ace in the hole. He had, had it stuck up his sleeve there so that he could throw it down. No, it wasn't that. He was fully God so that he could empathize with you and I in the struggles that we face. So how do we, how do we walk in the steps of Jesus? Well, overcoming begins first with a decision. A decision to live according to the word of God. He said, well, for, well, with you, it's always about the Bible, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is. It is. But notice this. We talked about this earlier. But look at this. In, in Galatians 5, again, 16 and 17, if you're in the version, you see it there. If you're following along, here we are, Galatians 5. So this is Paul saying, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so you, are, you don't do what you, whatever you want. So you're not to do whatever you want. Everybody say that. You're not to do whatever you want. But I was born with this feeling. I was born with this. I was born with that. I, I have this personality trait. I have this thing. I, I have this. You're not to do Whatever you want. How do, we, how do we come to grips with this? Go all the way back to the book of Genesis. Early. Cain and Abel are on the, on the scene. Genesis 4. Abel is a shepherd. Cain is a farmer. And it was time for sacrifice. And, and you say, well, how do they know it's time for sacrifice? I, I, I wasn't there. I don't, I don't know. I really don't know. But here's the thing. We talked about this in staff this week. In the course of time, Cain brought some, first fr some, some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel brought an offering. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain, he did not look with favor, and so Cain got mad. And his face was downcast. He was pouting. And so God literally comes to Cain and says, why are you mad? Why, why are you pouting like this? Why, I can see it in your face. What's going on with you? And Jesus, God says this to him, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. That sounds an awful lot like you're not to do whatever you want in the New Testament. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Cain made a decision that he would not do what he knew to be right. How he knew right from wrong, I don't know. Mom and daddy probably taught them some things. Okay? But here we know that God is saying to Cain, if you do what is right, you're going to be accepted. If you don't do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. And the desire of sin is to have you and destroy you. Cain decided that he would not do what he knew was right to do. And he ultimately killed his brother. He killed his brother. Why? Because he chose not to do what he knew to be right. So what do we do? We have, this, we have this war that's happening between the flesh and the spirit, the spirit of the things of God, the things of the word of God, the, the Holy Spirit of God. We have this war that's happening between our humanity and God's plan for our life and God's word for our life. And we're fighting all the time with this thing. And some people just raise their hand up and go, this is just the way that I am. 
I have this thing. I'm, I'm angry. I'm, I'm, I have all these desires, and so I'm a sexual being. I have, I have all this. I, I, I talk too much. Whatever it is, there's a whole list there, and it says they're obvious. Anything that's going on in our life that is contrary to the word of God are things that we have to address in our life. They're things that we've got to figure out in our life. So what do we do? We replace the flesh with the things of God, with the spirit. What is the spirit? The fruit of the spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So what do we do? We make a decision. Now here's the problem. Some of you are going to make a decision today before you leave this place that you want, you want to walk by the things of God. You're going to decide to live according to the book. You're going to decide to live according to the word. Before you get home today, something's going to happen and you're going to set that aside and go, I'm going to tear somebody's head clean off. And you're going to be telling people they're number one all the way home. If you have to go to Walmart, somebody doesn't know how to use that roundabout. You're probably going to verbalize some things. Exactly. No, you guys know exactly what I'm talking about this morning. That's what I love about this place. We're all like cave dwellers. We just, we just got, you know, we just there. But here's the thing. If we know what is right and we choose not to do it, there's a problem. There's a problem. But if we decide to be people of love, people of joy, to be people that walk in peace, to be people of patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-controlled or self-discipline, are we not replacing flesh with spirit? And it becomes a decision that we make, not just on Sunday at church. When the music is getting you amped up and then the word, ah, oh, yeah, wow, people are, ah, wow. But when the guy stops in front of you at the roundabout, <laughs> or when your food takes an hour and 25 minutes at some restaurant here locally and you're, you're beyond hungry, you've gone from hungry to hangry, or one of your children says something or one of your wife, or your wife says something, one of your wives. <laughs> <laughs> Go not this way. Go not this way. That is not the thing of God. <laughs> Shoot. I guess there's going to be a part seven because all we need to do now is just dismiss and go to the house. <laughs> You're one wife. <laughs> You're one husband. Or a coworker this week, or something happens, and all of a sudden your flesh rises up and wants to take control. Do you go have at it, or do you war with it? All right. The first step is a decision every day, and sometimes multiple times throughout the day. Multiple times throughout the day. This is not a one and done. Sanctification is an, is, a, is, an, is an ongoing, being sanctified, being, becoming more like Jesus is a process that we have that happens every single day of our life until we see him face to face. Next thing, number two, discipline. Ugh. Ugh. 
You know, why'd you have to go down that road? Well, I didn't have a choice. It's kind of like Bible. Remember, we're talking about honoring the word of God, right? Well, look at this. Discipline is about making the adjustments daily. In the very first of the teaching, we talked about 2 Timothy 1. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and what? Self-discipline. Titus, he's speaking about elders and deacons and bishops and all this, but he said, we must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, which is discipline, upright, holy, and disciplined. Paul's talking in 1 Corinthians 9 when he speaks about running a race and all, only you run, everybody runs, but only one gets the prize. Only one gets the prize. But then he goes into this thing. He said, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Now, here's the thing. So I'm not going to run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have I have preached to others. I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. In other words, every single day we choose to discipline our flesh to bring it into subjection to the will, the way, and the word of God. Every single day, discipline has to happen. The discipline to make the adjustments that are necessary when something wells up and we know is not something of God. What do you do with that? Do you just go, eh, or do you war with it? Yeah, but I've been battling the same thing most of my life. Yes. Will I ever be completely delivered from it? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You know, you guys, most of you that have been around, you know my story. You know how pornography just, from the time I was 10 years old until I was in my mid-20s, it consumed me. And when I, when, when I was addicted to pornography, it wasn't something that you could get on your phone or that would be sent. You had to go and find it. And so every day of my life, from 10 years of age, I kicked over a, a milk crate in a, in a fort out in the woods that some older boys at the end of our street had. And every day I would find my way multiple times. After school, I would find my way down there to where that crate was. And I would sit and look at, this, at the, that, that pornography. It consumed me. For 15 plus years, it consumed me. You couldn't talk about it to anybody. It wasn't something we talked about in the church. You couldn't even talk about sex in the church back in those days. A lot of people wouldn't even say that they were pregnant. They had to be something else. You just, there were just some things that were taboo. You didn't talk about it. And I'm, I'm a young minister of the gospel, and I've got this thing going on, and I'm struggling with it, and I'm struggling with it, and I'm struggling with it. And it's not conducive to marriage. Well, what if we watch it together? It's not conducive to marriage. And you fight it, and you fight it, and you fight it. I'm 60 years old. And I still fight it. Why? Because I have to discipline myself every single day. Every single day. There are things I don't do. There are things I don't, places I don't go. And there are things that don't come into our home. Because of that. Well, you've been free from that. I have been. I have been. But it's because every day of my life, I'm cognizant of the fact that in a moment, I could be right back into it. 
right back into it. It's just anything that we face. Anything that we face. I just want it to be gone from my life. May never be gone from your life. There are some things in our life that are connected to things that God created in us that are good, but they've been perverted. So for them to be completely gone, then that thing has to be completely gone that God said was good in our life. So what do we have to do? We have to war and master it every single day, sometimes every moment of every day. Sometimes you have to make drastic decisions to get up and walk out of a movie theater. Sometimes you got to make drastic decisions to turn the television off, to take a cold shower, to do something, or to sit and talk to somebody so they can talk you off the ledge. But it's a war that we face every moment of every day with our flesh. It is not going to go away this side of eternity. So we have to settle in and recognize that we've got to make a decision to work and honor the word of God and live by the word of God and apply it to our life every day. And then we've got to choose to beat our flesh into submission. Discipline ourselves to a place where we know. The adjustments begin with crucifying the flesh. Dying to that stuff every single day. Those who belong to Christ, Paul said, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Here's here's the thing. This is the thing about desire. This is the thing about desire that so many of us miss. The Bible talks about it. I feel this way. I've got this passion. I've got got these urges, these desires. So why can't I go here and go? And it doesn't always have to be sexual. It could be anything. It could be shopping. Thank you, Joyce. Thank you. I appreciate that. One support. Charles knows. Accountability. But notice, notice this. This is what God says about our heart and our, and, and our, and our desires. Jeremiah 17. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I feel so strongly, I, I, I have this power on it. But the word of God says, don't. Why? Why? Look at the next part of the verse. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. The heart is a wicked and deceitful above everything else. The desires, the passions that are not in alignment with the, with the will and the way and the word of God have to be crucified. The flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. The flesh has to be surrendered with its desires, with its passions. We have to nail it to the cross every single morning, every single day, every minute of every day if necessary, whatever it takes. You've got to be diligent in how we deal with it because we have to surrender to the word of God, the will of God, and the way of God. Remember in Gethsemane, Jesus is agonizing as he's crucifying his flesh. If there's any other way, now I can look, we, we do read it this way. Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. That's not how it went down. He said, well, you weren't there. No, but listen to me. If someone is agonizing over a decision and they're sweating great drops of blood, it's not a flippant, eh, God, please, no, it's okay. I've been to that little garden and I can tell you when you're standing there in that area and you're looking at that and you're trying to picture in your mind the agony of Jesus in that moment. There's thousands of people around that area all the time. I would love to go there in night when there's nobody there and just sit on one of those rocks. 
because it's there. It's in that garden that Calvary became a possibility. It's in that garden that the decision was made for his blood to be shed so that I could be forgiven for my sin and have power to overcome my flesh. It's in that garden that he's agonizing, Father, if there is any other way, I don't want to feel the pain. I don't want to feel the abandonment. I don't want to feel the situation. I don't want to do this. That might be close. That might be close. But listen to me. Next Sunday doesn't happen without Friday in Gethsemane. And he's agonizing to the point of sweating, drops of blood. Not what I want, though. Not my will. Not my flesh. Not my feelings. Not my desires. But yours be done. I just want freedom, Phil. I just want deliverance. Well, listen to me. Deliverance without Discipline is deception. Whether it's sin, whether it's weight, whether it's flesh, whatever it is, anything that we picked up in life, the weight that we pick up going through life, anything, whatever it is, we don't find a path of freedom and we don't find a place of deliverance and freedom from whatever we're dealing with without discipline in our life. It does not happen that way. Deliverance without discipline is deception. Even in a process of overcoming, even in a process of sanctification, you must discipline yourself and remain diligent to maintain a place of freedom from the things that you're dealing with. We have to maintain that, which brings me to the last point this morning, and that is this. We have to make a decision to walk it out. I mean, to, to, to live by the word of God. We've got to discipline ourselves to make the adjustments, and then we've got to have the diligence to walk it out. The diligence to walk it out. It's not a one and done. It's not coming into church on Sunday morning and going, woohoo, I've been set free. I've been set free. And then go right out and tie it on again. It's a war. It's a battle that we face. Galatians 5.25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Maybe you remember the first teaching we talked about, 1 John 5 and verse 4. Everyone born of God, what, overcomes the world. You see, the world says, whatever you feel like doing, you should do. Whatever your flesh tells you to do, you should do that. You used to hear it a lot, if it feels good, do it, kind of a thing. You know, Nike, just do it. If you want to do it, do it. After all, it's just that you've got to embrace who you are, your true self. Listen to me. Your true self is not what your passions and desires tell you. Your true self is who God says that you are. You're never going to find peace and contentment and happiness and all the things that you're looking for without surrendering every aspect of your life, including your passions and desires, to the will, the way, and the word of God. And you have to walk it every single day of your life. Revelation 21, he who overcomes shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he or she shall be my son or my daughter. It's not easy. 
It's not easy. I'm not, I'm not standing up here and telling you that it's easy. I'm telling you it's the hardest thing you will ever have to do. Yeah, but being a Christian is supposed to be good. God said he's going to give me the desires of my heart. As long as they're in accordance with his word, his will, and his way, there's some truth to that. But here's the thing. Christianity, people that say Christianity is a crutch have never lived it. Because living this stuff, the way Jesus tells us to live it, is not for the faint of heart. It's not for wimps. It's not. If you live it, you're going to be at war. You're going to be at war every time you turn around, mostly within yourself. The way that you feel, the passage, all the stuff that's there. You're going to be at war with all this kind of stuff. It's not easy, but you're not alone in this problem. John 16, 33, Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Can I get an amen in the house? Amen. In this world, you're going to have trouble. But be of good cheer. I, speaking of himself, have overcome the world. Because of Gethsemane, because of Calvary, and because of the garden tomb, Jesus Christ is raised from the dead today. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's a high priest who knows exactly where you're walking. He understands exactly what you're feeling. He knows what your passions are. He knows what your desires are. He has overcome all of those things, so we don't have to come with timidity to the throne of God. We walk in boldness and in confidence to the throne of God, and we find the grace and the help that we need during our time of need because Jesus has lived it already. He's already lived it. He's been there. He's done that. He has the t-shirt, the hoodie, the sweatpants, the t-shirt, shoes, everything. He's got it all. And he has earned the right to walk with you through your struggles. Because he knows exactly what you're facing. Because Jesus overcame. We can be overcomers as well. Let's stand all over the house this morning. The path to becoming an overcomer, the pathway to overcoming everything in our life is a decision to live according to the word of God. It's the discipline to make the adjustments in our daily walk and the diligence to walk it out in accordance with God's will, his word, and his way. Bow your heads with me all over the house this morning. I wonder how many people in the house this morning would just, and on TV as well, in your living rooms there, wherever you are, and when you watch this over the next week or two, how many of you would say right now in this moment, I got a decision I got to make. I got a decision I got to make. I'm, I got to live according to the word of God. Let me see your hand. Come on, raise them up. Raise them up. I got a decision I got to make. I got a decision I got to make. All right, put them right back down. If you raise your hand, get out of your chair. Come forward right now in Jesus' name. Don't hesitate. Don't worry about it. Say, everybody's looking at me. That's okay. That's okay. People look at us every day anyway. I got, I got to make this decision. I got to make this decision today today now do you know what your decision is do you know what your decision is say this with me I decide today and every day forward to live according to the word the will and the way of God
There's no excuse around this house now. There's no excuse, okay? Now, here's the thing. You say, is that all you brought us up here to say? Pretty much, yeah. Are you going to pray for us? I'm going to do that in just a second, but I want to tell you something, okay? I want to tell you something. This is one decision on one day. One decision for one day. When you leave here, get in the parking lot, start home, make another decision. The same one. Make it over and over and over and over and decide to fight. Decision, discipline, and diligence. Amen? Father, you see every person standing across the front of this building. You know what they're facing. You know what their struggle is. God, you know exactly where they are because you have been there. And you're at the right hand of God right now, and you're just waiting on them to approach your throne and approach it with confidence. Because when we come to you, God, we go, Jesus, you know exactly where I'm at. You know what I'm facing. Give me strength. Give me help. Give me the wisdom. Give me the guidance. Give me the things that I need. Give me the tenacity to discipline myself. And give me the self-control and the forbearance, Father, and the patience to walk it out until I see you face to face. God, do your work in every person's life, in this room, at this altar, on, in their living rooms, and wherever they are this morning. Give us the ability, oh God, to walk this out. Decision, discipline, diligence. And we will be overcomers because you have overcome the world and you are our God. Can I get a witness in the house this morning? Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Give it to him. He's worthy. He's worthy. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer. Tommy's going to come and dismiss us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.